bum bum bottom 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 bum b
I think Brad in the past would be shocked yes. at what you were saying. And not just how much you were revealing about what goes on in your downstairs, but that you would betray the uh, loose-fitting boxer. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, I've done a lot of cons since since my, my youth, and I've discovered that I don't like that forest fire, okay? <laughs> uh, and the boxer brief really does cure it. And yeah, it's essential to the con experience. But... I haven't done that laundry yet. I haven't done any packing. I have some idea of what shirts I want to bring, but I only have like one pair of jeans ready to go. So yeah, I, I don't feel prepped at all. I have several pairs of jeans. Okay. okay. Um, so you can borrow some. Yeah. I, mean, the, I don't. I didn't mean to brag. The thing about you know prepping for a con is that the con is coming, and whatever you get done is what you get done. And I'm pretty good at being flexible for any situation as long as I got that underwear. And I am the opposite. I'm not flexible. I need to bring everything and more because I like options. And in the 13 years of our marriage, I have finally sort of learned this. <laughs> and I discover that, oh, it's important to take care of Lisa's needs as much as it is to take care of Brad's needs. Because I will weigh you down yeah. like a pair of wet <laughs> socks if I am not 100% comfortable and cared for. Longtime listeners should know that our first Comic-Con was in 2011. And the way I behaved towards Lisa by just through my sheer excitement of going to Comic-Con, leaving her in the dust, not feeding her on time, <laughs> not considering, you know, sleeping outside with no jackets and no sleeping bags. I was a real jerk and I, I'm less You've of grown. a jerk. You've grown as a person yeah. and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful to watch. Yeah. I didn't come into this relationship to change him, <laughs> but uh, here we are. Thank you, Lisa. I have been changed. Uh, but we got to talk about Matt Kent and Flux House. Uh, super excited to have him on the podcast. Talking about a forest fire in your pants. Another dream cast for sure. I, I, I never imagined that Matt Kent would ever want to agree to come onto this podcast, let alone tweet out recently after having this conversation that Comic Book Couples Counseling is one of the smartest podcasts out there. Uh -huh. I mean, he's just he's just stroking our <laughs> ego, right? Is that uh, true? Yeah, yeah. I think that um, <laughs> he's very kind. I'm going to have that quote tweet on my tombstone. Uh, correct. Yes, yes. We've tweeted that it is going to be on our tombstone. We have agreed. We are signing up contracts. That is going to happen. Also, we we request to be buried at the same time, <laughs> whether we're alive or dead. With Matt Kent. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, <laughs> Matt Kent. Uh, but here we are. We're talking about Flux House, and this conversation is a little bit different than other creator conversations that we had because it's coming from the approach of what Matt Kent is attempting with Flux House. He He's doing something, I think, rather unique. Matt Kent has always been a creator that likes to push the art form and the delivery system of comics, and Flux House is him taking that up a notch or two. To me, Matt Kent seems like an Enneagram 4. And I know that that is flattering because I myself am an Enneagram 4. <laughs> but like Enneagram 4s are, are motivated to be seen as unique. They want to stand out in a crowd as not necessarily someone who's accomplished, but as someone who is different. Mm -hmm. And there is no one out there like Matt Kent. That's right, that's right. And so Flex House has officially launched through Dark Horse. The first comic is Mind Management Bootleg, out there now on the shelves. 
uh, highly recommend that comic. But I'm most excited about these wild ideas that he's got stirring around in his head right now and what he's promising. Furry comics, Lisa? <laughs> Furry comics? I am into it. Yeah. So we're going to jump into this conversation. Oh, can I give, yes. the, can I give yes. the people Please. a definition of the Fluxus movement? Because I feel like that's important. Yes. So in another interview, um, Matt Kent mentioned that he the name Flux House comes from the Fluxus art movement. And what that is, is it's an art movement that came out in the 1950s that wanted to abolish elitism in the art world. Probably the most notable artist from the Fluxus movement would be Salvador Dali. Um, there was also Murray Oppenheim. Yoko Ono considers herself part of the Fluxus Absolutely. art movement. And when I think of Fluxus, I think of the composer John Cage. So what I love about John Cage is that he was always testing the boundaries of what what is considered music. I became obsessed with the prepared piano, which is you take a, a beautiful, expensive, <laughs> expertly tuned grand piano, and then you start shoving pencils in the strings and putting little pieces of eraser or metal so that now it becomes a completely different kind of percussion instrument. It, it almost becomes like a percussion orchestra. And in doing so, you effectively destroy. You ruin the instrument for any other piece. Yeah. Um, the Another piece that I think I mentioned in this interview is his piece, Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. So another aspect of the Fluxus movement is that it considers the viewer or the consumer of the art to be a participant in the final piece. Like a piece is never really finished until there is someone interacting with it. So four minutes and 33 seconds is just the performer walking out to the stage with a piano on it. And then I can't remember if it begins with opening or closing the piano, but then the performer sits there for a total of four minutes mm -hmm. and 33 seconds and plays nothing. Mm -hmm. So in effect, Anybody who coughs, any awkward scooch of the chair. Yeah, any creaking floorboards. Now becomes part of the song. Yeah, yeah. So when I heard that, when I read that Matt Kent was inspired by the Fluxus movement, my imagination like started going wild of how far can a comic book be taken before it is no longer a comic book? Yeah, and so we get into that specific conversation, and I think you'll discover why Matt Kent says we're one of the most smartest podcasts out there. The most smartest? Yes, one of the most <laughs> smartest podcasts out there because he's referring to Lisa. Oh, no. <laughs> now, I, I, like, I love people who really dare to like he's he's challenging himself and he's also challenging the consumer and he's challenging the system the publication the industry can you do this 
when capitalism is the driving force of the art form, right? So, you know, it's a conversation that he is also having with Dark Horse Comics. Mm -hmm. And that's what we get into with this chat. And uh, I really, really like this conversation. And I have so much anticipation and curiosity for what Matt Kent is doing with Flux House. And I just want to see what comes next. And I am rooting for this imprint. Me too. And I am also rooting for a comic book that is also a telephone. Heck yeah! So let's get into this discussion. Matt, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Into the love nest you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, I think. <laughs> it feels cozy in here. Uh, so we're here to talk about Flux House, your new imprint from Dark Horse Comics. And... Well, like what we know about you outside of your work is that if we're ever lucky enough to go to a convention and meet you and do a signing and we have a copy of Red Handed, you will light that book on fire and provide a unique artifact. You will alter that object for the consumer in a way that is um, singular. And now with Flex House, it seems like you're trying to do that on a larger scale. Am I correct in that assessment? Um, yeah, I think so. I think I just want to, I want to take each book I do and um, uh, make the way it looks and how it works, the design of it. I want every part of it to sort of be part of the story or help tell the story, you know, and, um, and, that's that's the bigger picture, uh, but I will say I was at uh, I was at Charlotte at Heroes Con last weekend, and I'm um, s sitting next to Wilfredo Torres, who's been my uh, whatever uh, um, partner on a couple books and the new one for for Flux House even. And he, uh, I, a guy bought Red Handed, and then I was burning his book, and then he ordered, and I was doing these typewriter commissions too where you just commission me and i do like a, i write a paragraph and i have a typewriter and i was typing that and when i was done with that one i, I looked over he was just looking at me and the look on his face i couldn't describe it i was like i was like am i is this am i a parody of myself <laughs> like i felt like ridiculous but uh that's kind of what i want these books to be not a parody but i want i wanted to be um all the, those crazy things sort of put together in a book and whether I'm there burning it for you or not, when you get the book, there's something about it, right? There's, there's a, there's a new book. One of the new books we're doing has like a dust jacket that um, has holes punched out of it. And so if you line those up with different things around the book, there's little secret codes and stuff like that. It's sort of interactive. For me, interactive books feel like a thing that's like nostalgic, like um, picking up Pat the bunny or doing one of those, I can't remember the yeah. name, but the little dog spot where you lift the flaps. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, I don't understand why when you're an adult, you're like, well, you can read now, so you can't have fun with the object anymore. Um, it yeah. Does this feel like a, a, like a piece of nostalgia or or something else? Yeah, no, I, I think in a weird way, I sort of back, backed into that because I, I was, one of the new books, I was describing to a friend that it's about the evil cat. It's called Hairball and it's got a, the, the cover's going to have fur and it sort of sticks out. It's almost like a Pat the Bunny thing, but I didn't, hadn't really been thinking about Pat the Bunny. And then he's like, oh, like Pat the Bunny. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that, except like uh, creepier and uh, like a more, whatever, just like a, it's a horror story. So, so mm -hmm. I feel like. Uh, your interaction with that fur on the cover is going to be uh it's going to have a different kind of feeling than pat the bunny which is sort of adorable and 
you know, those books even like smelled good, you know, so mm-hmm. I, uh, this will not be that, but uh, <laughs> in a way, kind of that. Brad and I actually met working at a bookstore and um, the children's books always had the tendency of being like odd and weird shapes. So you never wanted to be stuck shelving in children's books because every <laughs> object is yeah. so imposing and takes <laughs> up its own space and, and makes its own shape. And um, I, I read in another interview, uh, you talking about how like, like the books that you make are like books that you don't want to forget that you have, where you put, you like you put a fuzzy book on the shelf, it doesn't matter how much space on the shelf that book is taking up. It's going to be the only only object that you see. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think um like a, as a lifelong collector of books and comics, like I there's a point you get when you're when you've had enough books and comics where you start to forget what you even own, right? Like it's like did I buy that already? Do I have that? Where's that? And I and it drives me crazy. I don't like it. I was like, "Oh, I want to know like every book I want it to be special and unique, and if especially if you like it, and I was like, I like that book, but uh, do, I, do I still have it? <laughs> I don't remember. So I really want, um, but there are a handful of books where um, I was like, I know exactly where it is on the shelf, even because it stands out or it has a unique look to it. You know, I think a lot of the McSweeney's books were like that. There's one that's like a cigar box. I was like, this is. I was like, are they like? Do they make this for me? Like, <laughs> I love love this. Um, and I know exactly where that is, you know, and there's a handful of books like that. And I, that's what I want these to be. I want it to be something where you, you don't forget that you own it because, uh, it's so unique, you know, and it's, it's a balance though, too, because you, there, we're releasing a lot of these as monthly books first. So Mm -hmm. like single issues. Um, but we want to, I wanted to play with size and format. And, um, so you have to sort of walk this line where retailers, like you're saying in the kids book section, you don't want to shelve it because it's, because it's they're all crazy books um but it's the same similar thing with we kind of run into with retailers is like they want you know the shelves are are very specific and then putting the books out so i had to sort of walk this line of like what sizes can we do what shapes what formats can we do that'll still work within that where people aren't going to hate shelving these books but Mm -hmm. uh they'll still be unique enough yeah, and not just the retailers either, right? You know, if you're if you're coming out of the Wednesday Warriors set, you know, we like our books yeah. in long boxes and short boxes and uh, magazine size gives me the hive sometimes. <laughs> and now here comes a furry comic. Uh, like uh how how do you relate to uh, us Wednesday Warriors or not relate to us Wednesday Warriors? Man, I I totally relate. Like I I I was that for so long. Um, I was like, I was a Wednesday warrior when it was Thursday. (laughs) I don't don't know if anybody even remembers that, but it used to be a Thursday. Um, But uh, yeah, no, I I get it. And I, and so I'm trying to walk that line. I think like there's some of our books, the books are going to be magazine size. And I was like, well, you can still get those slab. Like if you want CGC slab and slab them, they make boxes and boards and bags for those. So I, I try not to go past that, you know, like, Mm. I didn't want to do a format where you couldn't bag and board it if you want to keep it nice or whatever. But um, when it comes to like the collections and like what the final books are going to look like, then it was, there's no rules there. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to make them look. If I could design a book where it had a face forward on the shelf, mm. that's like one of my goals. It's like mm. the only way to shelve this book is facing out. 
Um, one of the things that gets me really inspired and excited about Flux House is that it's named for and inspired by the Fluxus movement art movement. And um, I was a music major at school. So my introduction to like avant-garde was um, John Cage and the idea of, mm. okay, when is it, when is a song, like how far can you stretch a song before it's not a song anymore? Like, does it have yeah. to have notes in it? Like, does it have an, have an ending? Does it have to sound good? Like all of those, yeah. thi those things. And um, so um, some of the ideas you've, um, you've inter like, the way you've interwoven the fluxus ideals into your comics, like like the um, the uh, playing cards and how you get the playing card, and now the this playing card has the potential of changing the way you play cards forever. You know, um, can you like at what age were you when you were introduced to the fluxus movement, and like how formative was it for you? Yeah, I was. I it really went back to probably my second or third year of uh, art school. Believe it or not, I went to art school. So <laughs> I, uh, and that was my major. And uh, there was a, I think, second year, every everybody had to take this class called Foundations. And in Foundations, they covered all kinds of, they covered all the art that nobody nobody really uh, was excited about, like performance art and like like that, like mm -hmm. pushing music, like you were talking about. It was like, well, how did, pushing art was the same way. It's like, well, is this, like a lot of the performance stuff where these, these this guy would go out and he would like nail up, put a nail through his hand as, as a, like a one-time one-off mm -hmm. thing. I'm like, Oh my God, what, in the, what is happening? <laughs> I was like, uh, and then I felt like all this performance art stuff was like, I was like, this doesn't speak to me at all. I like putting lines on paper, you know, I'm very, I like um, drawing <laughs> and this seemed to have no bearing to me on anything I was interested in. Um, it wasn't until years later when I'm at a convention I've been doing conventions maybe 10 years and I'm drawing in the books and signing and then having this conversation. I was like, Oh, this is, I'm doing a very boring version of performance art, you know, by sketching in this book while somebody watches and this and that. And, and uh, I was like, well, this is, why is this, why is this boring? <laughs> and so I did, I started to try to think of like, well, how do we, how do you make this more interesting? How do we make it something that is fun? So when people come up, uh, it's something they can remember, but also something that, um, and this is like the heart of what it is. And this is where I diverge from the Fluxus movement or any of that stuff is that I, I want the, whatever I'm doing needs to serve the story. Mm -hmm. So I want, you know, if it's a weird cover, it's because something inside dictates that that cover has to be like that. If I'm burning a book, it's because the page I'm burning reveals the thing underneath that works with the page on top of it. So there's a reason, there's a reason why that stuff happens, you know, and it's, the 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 flashy reason is uh it's like oh this is a, this is a funny thing to do um but the secondary reason is is there's a story reason for it and so i remember going through like i always go every museum has like a little fluxus display or something it's always it's always something like a weird book somebody made or uh like a little tackle box with a bunch of random things put in it and and you and i I love the look of that stuff. And I think it's intriguing. I'm like, Ooh, what is, why are these things in here? <laughs> um, so what I wanted to do is it, that tackle box full of like a fake eyeball and like a whatever match matchbox. Um, I was like, I wanted to have that feeling of running into something like that. Uh, but there's a story. So now we get to know like the story behind the fake eyeball and why that matchbox is there, the significance of it. And just sort of telling that story. Um, 
it's because I, to me, narrative, it's always about the narrative. I was like, I do need a story. And like with music, I was like, I do need, I need a, a hook, <laughs> a little bit of a hook. Um, even though I enjoy pushing those boundaries, I don't want to push them to the point where it's just art for art's sake. You know, I want to tell a story and communicate and get an idea across. Well, I also feel like the more we push into a digital world, uh, the more we kind of recoil from it. And there is a desire to really embrace the physical object now in a way that didn't exist 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think I, I started running into this um, with a Kindle. I bought a Kindle years ago, and I was like, oh, this is great. Because when I travel, I always take two or three books because I can't decide which one I'm going to read next. And so I'm always carrying three books with me. And then when the Kindle came out, I was like, oh, this is great. I don't have to decide. I have them all. And I'll just pick. And it's it was easy. Um, but what I realized is I was be, I would be reading a book and then get sidetracked. And then a week later, I'd look. Uh, pick up my Kindle. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. I was in the middle of a book mm-hmm. and I forgot I was reading it because it was just the Kindle thing was just sitting there, looking like it always does. You know, where if you have a book, the cover's there it's, and it helps you remember what's in it and it just has a presence. And then the same thing happened with music, with Spotify and all this. You're just, I'm just like telling the telling Alexa to like play music all day so I can write. You know, but I'm not. What I'm not doing then is I'm no longer actively listening to, me, to music. You know, I'm not listening to the words. I'm not even, I don't even know what half of what I'm hearing is, you know, because it's just automatically, it'll play all day. Um, so I started getting back into records for the same reason. I was like, oh, this is great. I I remember when you would buy an album, you would sit down and listen to it and read the lyrics while you were listening to it and actively listening mm-hmm. to it. Um, so I felt like, uh, I feel like that applies to comic books as well. I was like, I want to, um, five heads great. I love reading comics on it. I've been downloading tons of like old golden age stuff that people are scanning in like um, they're uh, whatever public domain at this point. And they look great. Like it's so bright and the colors are really juicy and, and it looks amazing. And um, I can't afford those books. You know? right. so that's great. Um, and even the new stuff, like the, the modern color and everything, they all, they all look good, but but it's a similar thing where like, well, I've forgotten what I've read. You know, I don't have a thing to look at or, or it's not sitting on the shelf. Um, and they all have, they all have to fit this kind of format, you know? And um, uh, I didn't, I wanted to do something different than that. I wanted, I wanted to also here's, here's a, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but no, please, but if we're going to waste paper and, um, and fuel to, to drive these things to bookstores and to uh, print them and all the ink and everything, all the mm-hmm. physical stuff that it takes to make a book. If we're going to do that, um, then the, the books need to be special. Like there needs to be a real reason why we're doing that. And they need to be something um, that's been thought about. I remember getting, I got a comp for um, one of the, one, something I wrote. It's uh, from a publisher I won't name, but the books came in the mail, the comps came and it was just like, the cheapest printing with this this flimsy cover it was slick and and like the inside cover it just was white because there's nothing printed on it and it was just like there was there was the least amount of thought put into that book and I was like why then I don't want I don't want this <laughs> like I, there was no thought put into any any part of it other than we have to put this book out you know so we can sell it for nine ninety nine and and I I just uh it just uh really 
bummed me out. And I think that that was where Flex House was born. I was like, this can't, I don't want any more of anything I do to ever come out like this again. Yeah. And, and that, that point, the environmental point, I think is something that I certainly see with the younger generation of readers. Um, but I wonder sometimes in regards to the first point, this preciousness around the object, like do my nieces, nephews, nibblings, really care about the object the way that I care about the object? Or is that only my problem because I grew up during the transitional period? No, I, I think that's going to be an interesting thing that we'll see play out. Like my daughter's 19 now and I, she doesn't collect nearly the way I did or have care about stuff, you know, like I did, um, which I think is there's something healthy about it. But um, I also, I, here's the thing. I also have, I've got a couple of these little portable typewriters so I could take them to conventions. And I promise you that typewriter, I leave it out at the studio. If any kid comes by, they're on it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, that physical object, it does have an impact, you know? And I think, I think the further we get away from that, the more impact having like an interesting physical thing to interact with has even more impact on, on even kids, you know, I think they, they like it whether they care about it who knows <laughs> there is also like i feel like almost downside to thinking of the object as precious because like you know like i remember when brad and i first when like i did not come from i didn't grow up reading comics Lisa's is the opposite of I, a wednesday warrior <laughs> i um i i started going to the comic book store because i loved the idea of a serial serialized disposable story like oh it's written on trash and you can eat a sandwich over it and then you have the story and then you're like and then you know you either throw it in a drawer or you throw it in the like like but it, it, this idea of like and then when I started reading Brad's graphic novels and he was over my shoulder going like, you can't open it that wide. Watch the spine. You you're like, I was like, well, you like you're making holding the object, not fun. Yeah. And, and it, and like, and I yeah. kind of like some of my most beloved books from my childhood are the ones that are just completely trashed. And that's I, how you can tell you can love them. I'll have you know that I've grown. I He's was, I was drinking ways. coffee over my comics this just morning. today. And doesn't it feel great? It does. Uh, um, but, I feel like you have like a similar irreverence because you have like you burn the books or you'll cut a panel out and now it's a book plate where like what makes the object special is not necessarily the object itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's, that's a really fine distinction to make. And I think that's, that's a good point is that, uh, yeah, I used, I went through stages. So my first stage of collecting comics was I would read them till I fall asleep. And so I'd wake up on them in the morning. So my GI Joe number one, um, the cover came off cause I was, mm-hmm. I would just leave it in the bed, drove my brother crazy. He's seven years older. He, in his room, he had all his comic books stacked on a shelf in order and perfectly lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not me, you know? And then as I got older, I was like, Oh, maybe I'll bag and board those and do this and that. And then, so I went through a stage where I was doing that. And then, uh, then my third stage, which I think is the final stage is the, is a, I gave, I dropped a bunch of long boxes of comics off at Goodwill that I didn't, I was never going to read again. And then I bound the rest of them into hardcover, like custom little hardcover books. Mm. So every, all the comics I loved since I was a kid, I still loved them. I kept them and now they're on a shelf in the book um, because I don't, I was like, I'm never going to sell them. I don't care about the collectability. I want to pick them up off the shelf and look at them at my leisure, you know, 
I don't want to take them out of a, a bag <laughs> and then have to put it back in. And then, uh, um, so it's, yeah, there's a, I want the, the object to be um, important, but not like precious, you know? And I, uh, the, the, I'm always struck by my mom, who's a huge reader. She reads so many, so many books and she'll loan me a book or actually I go over there to her place and, and I'll look at the book she's reading. I was like, Oh my, what have you done to this book? Like the spine is completely like rolled on these, uh, if it's paperback book, forget it. You know, it's like, it, it'll never, the, the spine is like U-shaped. When she's <laughs> and then, she, and then I borrow books from her and she's highlighted like stuff on every page, dog ear things. I was like, this is, at first I was horrified. And then the more I see it, the more I'm like, this is, it's amazing. It's like, this is great. And like, I love that this book is the book, but it's also like my mom's sort of interaction with the book, you know? And like, um, if she gives me a book, I was like, well, this is, it's cool because I'm reading it in a different way because she read it, you know? So I like, I like that idea of if you're buying a book from me and you actually got it from me now, now you can read it in a different way. Um, because I, because of how I interacted with it, you know, and then it gives you just another level of, of something to it. Um, in other interviews, you've referenced like uh, Marie Oppenheim's uh, fur breakfast or Salvador Dali's like lobster phone. And yeah. that just ignites my imagination of all of the shapes that stories could possibly come in. And um, do you have, and, and it's often dis- described as like, you're, you're going to be pushing the value, like the, the boundaries of publishing, but like, I'm like, well, why don't we just like smash? Why don't we just smash the boundaries? Why are we interacting with the boundaries at all? And I, I'm wondering just how, how far do you think you can push it? And how, do you have ideas that are already like rejected? Like, no, sorry, Matt, we cannot print the final panel on a fruit roll-up. He still has to whatever. deal with capitalism. I, I know, <laughs> I know. And I, uh, and I have a, like a tag on, on that comment, Brad. Sorry. Um, but, um, but you go, Matt. <laughs> no, there are, there are, there are things I can't, again, because of commerce, because of retailer, because of like practical, you know, some things that can be done. Um, like I'm, I have to play within those rules to, for certain books, but there's other things I'm doing where I'm like, well, I'm not, I mean, there's a, there's an idea I've had forever, which is to just, uh, post panels of a story all over and mail them to different uh, readers in different places and, and have a story that's sort of like a scavenger hunt mm-hmm. that you sort of um, find and put together. And then online, you sort of group source uh, the different panels until you put the story together, which which the process of that is integral to the story that you're putting together. Um, but that's not, that's not something you can even sell. Like <laughs> that's, that's a, uh, and because that's uh, not every, idea I have is something that needs to be like uh, profited off of. It's just for me, like the joy sometimes is just in completing the idea or the concept that's, or proving that it can be done, you know? Um, and I've done like over the course of my career, I did, I did this, uh, God, I've done such a bunch of weird things I did for the giant man book. I did, I had like a little capsule that was like pill size. And I did a, the tiniest little mini comic. It's like, <laughs> three panels front and back and then you roll it up and then it's put into this little capsule. Um, and I, and I did sell it, but I was like, that's not, I can't ever No retailers ever going <laughs> to care about that. Um, but I wanted to do the, the world's tiniest mini comic. And, um, and then when you do things like formally with that, like that, the cool thing about that little story was, um, it was a story about, 
uh, a, the girl, the little girl wanted to piggyback on her giant dad's shoulders, you know, and then if you read it one way, um, it's sort of a happy ending and he does gives her the ride. And if you read it the opposite way, um, he's like, no, we can't do that. It's too dangerous, you know? So like, depending on which side you read first, it changes sort of the meaning of the story. And I, I kind of like that, but uh, I'm sidetracking again, but I've did, done stuff like that. I did for super spy, I had this pop gun, um, yeah. which is just like this little paper gun. And then you, if you, if you flick it, the paper pops out of it and makes a popping sound. And then on the popping, the paper part that pops out, there's like a story about two spies. And, <laughs> um, and again, like, those are not like, those aren't going to be bestsellers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, uh, to me, it's just finding different ways to tell stories and different formats, but it's always comic books, always, you know, panels in sequence telling a story is that's really where my heart is at, but different ways of sort of uh, sharing those stories. I don't know. So some of it's, some of it will be very conventional, like a couple, some of the books will just be like um, uh, magazine size. <laughs> Hopefully you don't hate it so bad. Uh, I have a magazine we, box now. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I think, I think uh, I do too. I have a, um, I love like those old Conan magazines and mm -hmm. Epic. And then uh, that's why I got it for those codes. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think those are great. And um, uh, so some of them are, are like, or not that unconventional, you know, uh, but I do the, the spy book I'm doing that my wife's actually painting. It's coming out in December. Uh, those are going to be regular issues, but, but then the, the covers are going to be um, like paper bag covers. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. So it's going to look like it's wrapped in like a grocery, like an old grocery bag. So like, it's not going to have the logo. It's going to have like the grocery, the grocery store logo on it. Um, and then sort of like a, as a way to disguise the book on the shelf. So you can shelve it with the other books. It's just going to look real weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, another really important act aspect of the fluxus art movement is the idea of like anti-bourgeois, like anti-gatekeepery, keeperiness. And um I think the way that you're doing the, the new mind management as a jumping on point and kind of almost like creating a little antagonism between the original reader and the new reader. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was wondering like, how has, like, can you describe the elitism you've seen in comics, both in the readers and in publishing and like, what as a creator are you doing to be in conversation with it or to combat it. Yeah, boy, that's a big one. And um I'm not I'm not sure. Like I don't know that I'm I'm doing anything good really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I hope I am. Like I really do. Like I am uh like I would never uh like I don't believe in like getting books CGC and sealed in things and and like I don't believe in the collectability really anymore, but I don't I don't disparage anybody that is interested in doing that. And I think whatever, whatever brings you to the medium, whatever excites you about it. I was like, I, why would I, I wouldn't kill that. You know, I don't want to kill that enthusiasm. Um, but yeah, I also, I, I think that um, I worry as a older comic book fan that we're not, we're losing, mm -hmm. we're losing readers to other mediums that are, that have like a, you know, video games, video, you know, stuff on phones. Like there's so many, there's so much competition for comics, uh, you know, for the attention of readers. 
uh, more than there ever was when I was growing up. Like there was comics were on Saturday or cartoons were on Saturday morning. And then that was kind of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like I want to save the medium. We have to include everybody. We have to get as many people excited, excited about what this medium can do as possible. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, with mind management, I, I wanted to start with that one because I'm like, well, I, I'm always worried about failure. So I was like, well, this at least I know people like the old series. Maybe they'll buy the new one. <laughs> um, but I also didn't want to exclude people that didn't care about it, never read it, or it's hard to get. or, or um, And uh, so I wanted to sort of get the new readers as well. But also there's there's something kind of, um, to your point about um, the format of this new series, I have, there's a the special version of it is comes polybagged and there's a little trading card inside, which is like all the worst things about collecting. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, they they're variant covers, um, so it's all of the worst things. But I feel like I'm doing, I chose to do those things uh, intentionally because because they are the worst things <laughs> in a way. In uh, there's discussion because the issue one it was supposed to be un uh, resealable so you could open it and reseal it and i was like no i i don't want those to be, i want you to have to cut it open um and then uh to get the card inside and then the card the cards are one of those things where um i don't know anytime you buy a magazine or you get a there's always like a like a little trading card or yeah. i feel like those cards are floating around my house all over the place mm -hmm. and i'm like what do i i don't want these <laughs> i don't um and so I feel like there's such a waste. So I wanted to put one in there that was something that you would use, something that you would be excited to be like, mm, everybody has a deck of playing cards. Like stick this in your deck of playing cards and see what happens. Like, like I don't know, it's just something where it's not just laying around. It's like it becomes sort of like a invasive part of your home. Yeah. Um, and I and uh, back to your main question is like I I really wanted to. I have so many creators that I've met over the years, friends and, and people I'm just fans of that I thought it would be fun to um, work, be a little bit more collaborative, right? And then bring people in. And and I don't know if I'm helping anybody or if, I don't know if this is going to help careers or any of that kind of stuff, but at least just um, bring a little more awareness to artists and creators that I like that I don't think get enough attention. Um, and sort of help out like do what i can to be like hey if you like this then you should feel like this stuff of mine this is like influenced me or inspired me you know maybe you'll like it too yeah i mean you know this is this is lisa's jam for sure mm -hmm. but it's also brad's jam because you know if if you force me to cut open a comic and take a card out uh, I'm going to have to buy two copies, right? <laughs> I know it's, that's the worst, but no, you don't need to just cut the top off and then put it back in the bag when you're done. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think there's a joy to the collector who, who, you know, keeps the comic that has all the pogs still sealed in the spine as well yeah. as having the one that takes all the pogs out. Like there's a joy in that aspect as well. I think you are, uh, serving both audiences, both spectrums of that. And I think if you're looking to get new readers invested in comic books by having such a variety in format, it's incredibly intriguing to people who don't really engage with comics on a regular basis. But if suddenly there's a, a furry comic or 
a comic that's wrapped in a recycled paper bag. You know, uh, like our sister-in-law might actually be interested in that. Like, well, what's going on over there, Brad and Lisa? Mm-hmm. And we'll hand it to them. <laughs> no, that's great. And I hope, to me, I feel like the stories inside too, I'm hoping will be the thing that hook people, right? Like if you if you picked it up because the cover's a little wacky or it's, it's the, you know, interesting format, and then you read the story is the thing, right? If the story isn't any good or the story doesn't hook you or engage you, then what's the point? You know, it's, it's just flash for, for nothing, you know? So I'm hoping that's also the case. And it's with you, with you, both of you, it's interesting too, because I, when I first got into comics, I was, uh, I had two books come out. Um, and I remember sitting at conventions, this is back in like 2000, 2001. And I would, I would sit at the table, um, and I would see the, guys like me come up um they have a wife or girlfriend who look bored and they were just like they were ready to do the thing after the convention whatever they were going to do after that um but they went along you know and i and i remember thinking like my wife she doesn't read comics either um and like this is my chosen career path i was like what's going on here <laughs> this isn't i want i want her to be um engaged somehow and i look around i was like there's nothing for her like the, the reason why is because there was no books that's the yep. interest her she's a reader she likes books you know you go to a regular bookstore and there's books for everybody you know there's a book that's you know and i was like why how come here there's nothing that she's excited to go get or look at you know and i'm proud that like 20 years later it's completely changed you know she'll pick up books and there's things she's excited about but they that was where something in me clicked where I was like, oh, my next book needs to be a book that I do purposely for, that would be something she would pick up. If she didn't know who I was, she would walk by, she'd be like, oh, what's this? And then she'd read the book and she would be engaged with it, you know? And, and so I felt like that sort of changed my outlook on the medium ever since. That was, Three Story was the book, The Secret History of the Giant Man. That was the book that sort of uh, flipped the switch for me. And I was like, I, I need to think differently about I just need to be a little bit more grown up, I guess, or just, or have, think outside myself, you know, don't write, stop writing characters that are just me with a, with a hat on, you know, and uh, whatever. Um, What I think is so special about Flux House is the idea of like this this story is part of like one of my worldviews is that stories are here to change us. And every time we read a book or we watch a movie or whatever, whether we perceive it or not, we are different. And I feel like um, creating a comic book that becomes a playing card or creating a comic book that becomes a board game or, um, creating a comic book that is so imposing in a room that you can't not talk about it to me is like the physical manifestation of that idea of like, Hey, you have the story now and now you can take that story like into the world, which I think um, is like the, the flip side of the coin of Fluxus where it's like, it's like, you know, by taking the, the phone um, and putting a lobster on it, you can't really use that phone anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but, but, but that in and of itself is like a, a meaningful gesture. Yeah. I think, I think if you put hair on a, on a teacup set, you know, you've made it, um, 
into something not usable, something you probably don't want to use, but it's also <laughs> has made you think about why why it exists, right? Like, or what what's happening, you know? And uh, and I do. I think that's. Um, I think the older I get to, the more I'm like, what are my books? Like, what are your books for? Like, you can't. If you've ever been in an argument with somebody, you, you realize you can never change anybody's mind. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Can't, um, you, that's the older I get. I was like, this is why. I was like, why are we? Like any point that any of my books would have, I was like, it's not gonna you're either gonna agree with me or you're gonna disagree, and it's not gonna. But I think um, what I've realized is over the years and the amount of books I've done and the, more, the ones I've planned and continue to do, I was like, I don't think you can, you can't really change a person's mind, but uh, directly. I think what you can do is you can have like a subtle influence over time, <laughs> like you're wearing down like wind and rain wearing down a rock, you know, you start yeah. to like, maybe, maybe you smooth out some of the rough edges off of people with some of the ideas in your books. Um, and I feel like that's what I've been unconsciously trying to do, you know, not to get too mind management about it. But, <laughs> no, but, uh, that's, this is comic book couples counseling. That's what we're here for to get mind management about it. Yeah. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the show today to talk about Flux House. We're incredibly excited by this imprint and by this project, just on a philosophical level, we want it to succeed. So good luck. And for those that don't read our show notes and don't go over all the links that I put together to find all the rad things that you're doing, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online to continue this conversation? Oh man. Yeah. I guess, I guess if you went to mattkint.com, M-A-T-T-K-I-N-D-T.com, everything's there. You can, see me whatever email all the social stuff it's all there awesome well matt you have a great day and uh we're gonna try to track you down at san diego comic-con in a couple weeks sounds good do it i'm gonna be handing out a couple more than one weird thing if you can find me all right all right (laughs) we want weird things we will find you have a wonderful day thanks There you go, our conversation with Matt Kent, Lisa. Matt is going to be at Comic-Con, and I am bringing a copy of Red-Handed, The Fine Art of Strange Crimes, because I want my copy burned. (laughs) I want a reproduction of a unique experience. That's right. And I also want some kind of crustacean phone. Yeah, why not? Besides that crustaceans are living creatures who are just trying to like go through their life. Yes, yes, yes. We want a vegan crustacean phone. (laughs) Okay, I don't want to kill any animal for my comics. That is 100% true. But if I'm like wandering on a beach and I find like a crab shell, I want to turn that into a book. Or I want it to already be a book. Wouldn't that be magic and no work? What would would happen? We would would be in Narnia or something. No, Brad, we're just at Comic-Con. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's something you would find like on the beaches of Coronado right before Comic-Con or during Comic-Con. I have no idea because I'm in the sky right now flying on a plane recording a podcast, getting ready for San Diego. I'm so excited. Uh, please, please, please follow us on Twitter at CBCC Podcast. We're using the hashtag CBCC at SDCC. We will be sharing so many photos and videos on Instagram and Twitter. It's been three years, everyone, and we're just 
crazy excited to be back with our friends. I hope I remember how to Comic-Con. What have I forgotten? I mean, I think there will be some anxiety and this will be a very strange and unique con, unlike any other con. And we have to be flexible and ready to, you know, like listen to our bodies, Lisa. And while we're listening to our bodies, our listeners are listening to us and hopefully they're also sharing these episodes with all their friends and neighbors and strangers. Please do hit those retweets. So I was thinking in honor of John Cage and the Fluxus movement, instead of doing our outro, oh no, we just leave four minutes and 33 seconds of dead air. You know, I love John Cage, Lisa, I assume, uh, <laughs> uh, but not great for podcasting. Oh, okay. Dead air, not great for podcasting. Meanwhile, like Brad is editing out every pause. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely true. I think we should just get into our outro because our socials are so important. So, uh, well, that's true because in the Fluxus art movement, it is not done until the, the uh, listener is a participant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when is a podcast no longer a podcast? Oh, when you send us words of affirmation. There you go. Where can our listeners send words of affirmation to you? That didn't make sense. No, but it's so good, though. Oh, We're okay. not going to edit it at all. Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Please say hello. Uh, if you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. I gotta slow down. <laughs> I gotta slow down. I'm speaking too fast. If you'd like to get exclusive, Woo! you can join our Patreon where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. Again, hashtag CBCC at SDCC. Is it an at sign? No, it's the, it's the word at. Okay. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport... You're a monster. Open. Don't you dare delete that pause. I'm not going to delete it because this episode is clearly art.